You're listening to City Beat, the weekly podcast from UrbanMilwaukee.com. We are back from hiatus to learn about one of Milwaukee's largest foundations, the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. We are joined by Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Laura Glawi, and Senior Vice President of Community Impact, Catherine Dunn, to discuss everything GMF is up to. Don't touch that dial, close that app, or hit skip. We'll be right back. Catherine, welcome to City Beat. Let's identify you for the listeners. Uh, Laura, if you can say hello and tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, thanks, Jeremy, for having me on your show with Catherine today, my colleague. I'm the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Greater Milwaukee Foundation and uh, looking forward to this conversation where we can enlighten listeners about the ways in which the foundation has been incredibly active, especially over these past 10 years. And Catherine? Hi, good afternoon, Jeremy. I'm Catherine Dunn. I'm the Senior Vice President for Community Impact, and I, too, am looking forward to having some conversation about what we've been up to in Milwaukee. And how long have you both been with the foundation? So I've been, this is Catherine, I've been with the foundation now for um, about nine years. And I've been here almost four years. All right, and let's talk about the mission of the foundation. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with the name, but not exactly what goes on. I don't know which one of you wants to take that question. Well, I will tackle our vision is really clearly to be working in community with residents who live in this community. That's so important to us. Um, Very important to us is our donors. We have a tremendous amount of extremely generous people who care every single day about what's happening in greater Milwaukee. And uh, we have, you know, thousands of donors who work with us and some who have uh, been at this in terms of generations of family members who have been engaged with the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. And then we also work with community leaders and nonprofit organizations and school systems. And we really represent the four county regional area where we are all really working toward a shared vision of essentially creating more vitality throughout this region and making Greater Milwaukee one of the best places to live now, as well as looking forward to our future. And when we talk about foundations, a lot of things they talk about is their size, but one of the things that makes you guys unique is that you're really a combination of funds, of different people that have given to you that you guys help are stewards of their funds for them. How big is the foundation itself? How many staff people are we talking about? Sure. So we are, first I should talk about, we're 103 years old. And so we are one of the oldest community foundations in the world. We are one of the largest as well. We have over 1,400 donors that are uh, in the GMF family and about 55 staff people. So you're right. People are most familiar with when you talk about a foundation, they understand grants or philanthropy. And we do certainly have um, donors that we support in in their work and their philanthropy. But as Laura said, we do a lot in partnership with community and in partnership with our donors. So we think of ourselves much differently than perhaps a traditional foundation or a traditional community foundation. And how does that impact when you're looking at different donations to make? A lot of foundations, they have a family name attached to them. They're the Bader Philanthropies. They're the Bradley Foundation. You guys are the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. How does that change your focus compared to, say, a family-run institution? 
I don't think it changes our focus. I think it really enhances our focus and it really amplifies the impact we're able to have. First of all, because we do have 1,400 donors. We're over $900 million in assets because of the generosity of all of those donors. But if there is a need to, and uh, certainly we do want to recognize individual donors, we can, when making a grant or making a gift into the community, we can follow up with the name of the fund that it's coming from. So donors still receive that really important recognition for their generosity. But when we aggregate it all up, we're able to do things at a scale that most foundations aren't able to do. All right. And one of the things I think about when I hear the Greater Milwaukee Foundation name is Herb Cole's donation to the arena, what is now the Fiserv Forum. Uh, that was facilitated through the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. What are some other recent projects you guys have been involved in that you've been stewards of giving for? Well, I'll start, and I know I think uh, Laura has probably a number of things to add to this list, but one of the ones that probably most community folks are familiar with is Sherman Phoenix. So uh, we have a number of donors who directed grants in support of the redevelopment of the property, as well as in helping ensure that the entrepreneurs that are in that building are successful. So making sure that they have access to technical assistance and ongoing mentorship. Um, we also used a, a tool that um, philanthropy has available called Impact Investing. So it's basically we facilitated a loan to the project in order to make sure that they were able to accelerate their um, redevelopment of the of the building in a timeline that fit for getting open by the time they wanted to be open. And what's that look like then? That's something that gets paid back over time. Exactly. So okay. Yeah, it's a it's a loan. So. Um, it's called an impact investment, and it allows foundations to make loans or even equity investments, frankly, into projects. So it's different than grant making in that, you're right, it does have to be paid back. What it allows us to do, though, is to engage with for-profit organizations, for example, that might advance the mission work that we're trying to do, whereas a grant, we are restricted and limited to grants only going in support of nonprofits. So it's not an either or, it's a both and to really advance the work that we're doing in the community. And is this the first time you've done that or is this something that's happened recurring? So we just, we just wrapped up a pilot of an impact investing program and we did three um, different investments plus one that we are, we're waiting for some investments to come through. So I'll say four commitments for a, mm, close to a million dollars. We're hopefully moving into phase two of that work, which is to scale up and have greater amount of dollars to use in this kind of a toolbox. All right. And Laura, you had some things you wanted to talk about? Well, I'll add to that that the direct result, one of the specific direct results that our donors have when they sit around and think about where to invest, it's communities oftentimes that have not been as invested in where people can't access that capital or have more difficult times accessing that financing. In this case, those three projects have generated approximately 87 different jobs in this community already. And that's in a very short period of time. So we are viewing uh, the route of impact investing and pooling funds with our donors' interests as a way to demonstrate how our community foundation together can be leaning in to create um, more opportunities, economic development, and even bringing some wealth into communities that haven't yet seen that. So I think that's a pretty tremendous result in a short period of time. We've talked about Sherman Phoenix. Are there other, and you guys I know have a focus on Sherman Park, are there other areas of the city that you're really looking at to make strategic giving? So um, as Laura said in her introductions, we're a four county. We serve four counties. So we actually do 
have investments across uh, Milwaukee County, Waukesha County, Ozaukee, and Washington County. Our emphasis has been in the city of Milwaukee where the disparities have been the greatest. Um, so in addition to the Sherman Phoenix project, which is in Sherman Park East, and that is one of our targeted neighborhoods, we have six other neighborhoods that we've identified and are investing significant resources in. Um, but before we really go in and put a lot of funding in, we have modified our approach to really um, step back and let the community residents tell us how they think investments need to be made. What are the services that they're looking to have? What are the opportunities that they want to see? So we have launched work first starting in Sherman Park East with visioning sessions, engaging residents in a variety of ways to help tell us what they would prioritize investments around and where they see the needs are. We've now launched that work in North Division neighborhood. Um, we are doing that work also in the neighborhood that we're moving into as uh, part of our partnership with the Medical College, which is, it's actually the nexus of three neighborhoods, so Halyard Park, Brewers Hill, and Harambe. We just had our first visioning session this past weekend with residents from those areas. So we're really just trying to listen to the community. So we are doing with community as opposed to to community. Sure. And I think that's part of what makes you guys unique. How long does that process take to play out? Is it something that you're listening for two years for doing anything or you're doing a couple months of listening, making maybe a couple small grants, and then you're really kind of ramp that up? So hopefully it's an ongoing process because it's really about building relationships. But we do start on the front end with an expectation that for about six months, we're doing a really deep, intensive listening process, which includes at least three visioning sessions, as well as one-on-one -on -one interviews with residents and stakeholders, really trying to get out and get to voices for people who might not be able to physically attend a visioning session or who other folks identify as an informal leader in a neighborhood, and we really want to have some deep conversations. So we, in Sherman Park, did about 30 one-on-one -on -one interviews plus three listening sessions. We then form a community advisory committee, so it's inclusive of representatives from the community, and they guide us on our overall grant making in that neighborhood, but then also we allocate a um, pool of capital for them to make decisions on themselves on what kinds of projects they want to see. So they manage the application process, they manage the decision-making process, and then ultimately they make that recommendation to our board who approves those grant requests. In the Sherman Park area, what type of shape is that taking for the funds that are allocated that they can direct? So we're, ju um, we're just getting that part of the process off the ground. We've been doing actually some training with residents and people on those advisory committees to help them understand, like, how do you read a 990? So, you know, some... some and for our listeners that don't know, what oh, is a 990? Thank you. A 990 is basically a tax return for a nonprofit organization, and it's publicly available information on a website that's called GuideStar, and you can look up the financial statements from nonprofit organizations, including foundations, um, but any of the nonprofits that are working in the community, you can find out more information about their budgets. But it's a critical tool in just understanding a capacity of an organization to execute on a project. So providing training on how to read that and understand those types of financial statements. Um, so uh, in the visioning session, I'm just going to go back to some of the things that came up from that, because um, Sherman Park is actually very rich with assets, although it has definitely been disinvested in over the number of years. One of the interesting pieces of feedback that um, rose up through the various visioning sessions was, um, even though it's a, 
it's a well-established, and a lot of people know Sherman Park, and they think of it as being a very diverse community. It's also very young, so there's a lot of young people in that community and not enough opportunities for young people to get engaged in activities like um, jobs, workforce development kinds of things. Even just after-school programming, there's not a sufficient number so when the advisory council started meeting and talking about what priorities they set, they identified youth development as their priority focus. Um, are we talking about like teens or are we talking about young adults or kind so of a blend of both? 14 to about 24. That there is, I can't remember offhand what the per percentage of population is that that age range, but it's pretty significant. It's almost 49% yeah. under 24 years old. Wow. So to have that density of young people and not have some of those outlets was of concern to the residents. But it, what was so interesting, too, though, is that through these visioning sessions of a high concern for engaging with organizations who can provide that type of engagement for youth who also are trained in trauma-informed care. So there was a real recognition with the residents that they need people who understand some of the challenges and trauma that people in the community are facing every day and can apply that lens to the services that they're providing. And these were things that were identified by the people that live in the community themselves? By the residents, yeah. All right. Do you hit on something? Unless, Laura, did you want to add something? No. Okay. You hit on something that I think we should talk about, and I'll let you explain it. In March, GMF, the Medical College and Royal Capital Group, made a huge announcement. What was it? So we um, formally announced a vision around a partnership between the Medical College and Greater Milwaukee Foundation to establish um, a very healthy, thriving, and equitable neighborhood within Halliard Park that will then be a model that can go beyond just Martin Luther King Drive and those surrounding neighborhoods that Catherine mentioned. So it's a pilot program that is a partnership that, again, we hope to, um, through resident engagement and continuing to develop uh, the redevelopment of the beautiful former Gimbel's Schuster building on MLK Drive, uh, will be something that will be very representative of what the neighbors in those communities find to be most helpful, as well as a way that our partnerships can bring in additional partners and, and hold um, sessions on a first floor in that building that would be open convening space that the community can use as well as the type of you know access to things like affordable early childhood education and care um, access to jobs access to you know we don't even know fully yet because honestly we have just completed our first visioning session this uh, recent weekend yeah that was an unusual announcement for me to cover as a Real estate reporter, usually you show up at these events, people are going to tell you exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Instead, the message was, we're going to partner, we being Greater Milwaukee Foundation Medical College. Uh, there's going to be housing in this building eventually with Royal Capital Group. But what really takes place remains to be seen. It's really what the community wants to see. And that, I guess, was a unique challenge for me to be covering, but it, it speaks true to your mission of really trying to engage the community. How are things progressing there? You said you just completed the first kind of visioning workshop. What else is scheduled? Uh, what's the ultimate timeline to move forward? So we have several visioning sessions that we're hosting. And it really is, as Laura said, to hear from the community residents, stakeholders, what do they want to see on that first floor? So we've reserved at least 25,000 square feet on the first floor. And frankly, it's the best. It's the prime real estate. It is the north west corner of that building so it's where the 
Gimbel's part of the Gimbel Schuster's was, or the, I guess. Um, but it's got the beautiful old facade um, underneath what right now it's covered up. But that will be space that is programmed by the community with the community. So we've had one visioning session. We have another one coming up on September 14th that we'll be inviting residents from Halyard Park, Brewers Hill, and Harambe to come in and participate in a conversation with us. What are the things they want to see there? What are the things they don't want to see there? Because we don't want to cannibalize other businesses that are already located in that neighborhood or those neighborhoods. We want to be able to be supportive and additive. At the end of the day, though, what we really want to do is show up and be good neighbors and make sure that we're providing access to services, access to convening space, access to things that the residents are going to find valuable and that we're a value add. Um, so we're being really deliberate and intentional about those conversations with um, stakeholders, residents, leaders. And if all goes as planned, when will you move into this building? That is a great question. <laughs> so um, I think we are looking at um, sometime in spring or early summer 2021. 2021. Yeah, spring 2020 is scarily close yeah, no, to no, where no, we sorry. are right I now. Had to, my mental calendar is off. That's right. It's 2021. I think a key takeaway is related to the foundation's DNA. So for over 100 years, we have been an organization that has been building incredible trust with our donors. And, you know, more than ever, especially these last um, several years, we've been replicating that level of trust with community building community engagement and different types of opportunities to work with partners. And so, you know, our hope is that, um, that people feel that and see that. I think that they do. Sometimes we have to slow down projects because we need to allow for all voices to be considered. And we really are trying to be very authentic in our planning, yet juggling major milestone, you know, architectural timelines and different project initiatives that there's some high demand for. But, you know, it's worked for us. We've had a surge of generosity in this past 10 years. And I think it's worth calling out that even during times of economic downturn, you mentioned the um, Senator Cole gift, $100 million was the largest gift to the foundation in its history. That type of giving happens because people are trusting us. We have seen over the past several years where there has been um, donors who are recognizing the opportunity to pool funds in new and different ways. And as a result, they are adding to their funds and creating this incredible base at the Greater Milwaukee Foundation to allow us um, to do more work, and that means more grants going out into the community. Since 2008, just to give you one example, we have literally doubled the size of our asset base and are nearly, um, will be in the next few years, knock on wood, approaching a $1 billion asset of dollars that we have to work with. And That's give, tremendous. Give people a sense, where does that, if I'm a foundation in Milwaukee that is a billion dollars in assets, Am I the biggest? Am I the second biggest? Am I, I, mean, I'm, I assume you're towards the top then. Yeah, we, we are one of the largest in the country. We're certainly one of the leading in terms of being an organization that is strategically doing the type of work that Catherine you know, was highlighting um, in terms of looking at how we bring dollars out into the community. So we have an incredible focus on racial equity and inclusion. That's another example of where the Greater Milwaukee Foundation is um, serving as a national leader. We are, are part of think tanks where we are talking about with other community foundations our size or larger, like San Francisco, 
um, Denver, Boston, and really part of the national conversation to um, together look for ways to efficiently improve issues and work on solutions together beyond just Greater Milwaukee, but all of the um, connections, our uh, board um, chair people and our CEO and President Ellen Gilligan is incredibly active in bringing back ideas and models of programs that can affect our greater Milwaukee community. And so with that growth, you'll also have the challenge of moving. You're in Schlitz Park right now. How do you envision the function of the foundation changing as you're on this first floor, second floor space in this new building, right in kind of one of the areas you're working heavily in? I think that's the benefit of us moving to the, the new building is that we will, in fact, be embedded in one of the neighborhoods that we have historically been investing in. And we will con now we're moving into a slightly different investment model, which is relocating our physical plant, as well as just the general grant making and engagement that we've been doing with community members. To me, um, I think it will give us great advantage in having a closer ear to community voice and finding new ways to engage community. I think it will also give us an opportunity to introduce people to that area who may not come down to King and North, right? Who, for whatever reason, they may not have that opportunity, but we will be located there. All, our entire corporate office, we have one office. <laughs> All of us are moving to that space. So we will be relocated there um, as soon as that building's ready for us. All right. And one thing I for sure want to talk about on the table, this is going to be the third year for it. It's October 10th this year, but what is it? So on the table is a, just a, a highly energized day where for one day, uh, this greater Milwaukee community comes together to sit around, whether it's a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, a coffee, and gather with individuals where people can talk about ideas for where they want to see this region move forward, where they may have passionate ideas to strengthen this community, whether it's around hunger or homelessness or education systems or art and culture. Any topic goes, and people um, in the thousands bring together their voice. And last year, we saw um, a, a significant influx of people who were starting to move ideas into action. In fact, the foundation actually funded some of the ideas that community brought forward because they were so strong. So this year, um, just to mention some of the things we're hearing from community, we, we brought table hosts together who had conversations last year and said, where do you want to see this event go this year? And it was pretty loud and clear they'd like to see a 2.0 version of On the Table Milwaukee. So we have taken some steps on a website to allow for people to go online and search different types of table topics that they maybe want to be a part of. Uh, we have been encouraging table hosts who are familiar with On the Table to leave seats open at their table this year because people want to move across town and to different types of conversations, perhaps even multiple conversations throughout the day. And so we're gearing up. We just opened up registration for On the Table Milwaukee um, within early July, and we're ready to begin really talking with more and more people about the types of topics that they think will move this region forward. And from a functional perspective, let's talk about the event a little bit. I went to the Milwaukee event at City Hall for On the Table, which is really on many tables there. It fills the rotunda with, I don't know, let's say 20 different tables, and there's different conversations happening at each of those tables. That event's open to the public. There was, I think, a food truck or two outside that you could get food from. 
and that was in the evening. What do these other events look like? Right. So there's a incredible range. People host intimate conversations in their living room or around their dining room table. Um, we in Milwaukee have noticed a trend compared to other cities that have done this type of convening. And what we seem to gravitate to as a city is large-scale events. So there's a number of um, organizations who are holding multiple table-type formats like you experienced at Milwaukee, maybe some on smaller scales where they're bringing you know, up to 100, 200 people in a room gathered at different tables to talk you know, maybe focused on one specific topic like racial equity and inclusion and how to bridge divides, or they might be hosting different, um, like at the Marcus Corporation, they have graciously opened up a breakfast and a keynote speaker the last two years, and they'll be doing that again. And you can select the table that you want to sit down and talk to. It may be an LGBT plus community issue that you want to talk about. It could be autism. It could be, as I said, arts and culture have been popular topics. We've had a lot of high schools that have been getting involved. Um, there's just, you know, a, you know, you can think of any topic and really sign up to host a table um, anywhere you want. We've seen people do picnic table conversations. I think one of the most creative was a conversation in Cedarburg, I believe it was, where they actually held the conversation on a golf course. Um, so, you know, there's just an incredible range of places that people are gathering in community to make connections one-on-one -on -one to meet other people and to advance their thinking around how they want to see this community be more, um, more vibrant. And if people want to learn more about that, what is the website for it? So you can visit on the table, mke.org. All right. And if you're still looking for hosts, is that correct? Oh, right. We're just at the very early stages, and we're asking that people consider doing an earlier registration this year because of the search function that we're making available, where people have actually said to us, show us ahead of time where the conversations are happening, where there's public space available, because I want to be at some different conversations and kind of move around and, and um, find if I want to be at a breakfast or a dinner. I want to know what people are talking about. I think people are really ready to roll up sleeves in different ways is the message we're taking away. So if I go online, I can search easily and find where I can go have a conversation. If I want to host a conversation, what's expected of me? What's involved in that? Right. So, you know, that's uh, something that the foundation does great work at providing host tools. So literally, we have question prompts. If you know um, what type of conversation you want to have, um, we suggest through a facilities or a facilitation kit, all the different things that you would need to consider A to Z. You know, we even are making some dollars available to communities where host maybe wants to hold a gathering but doesn't have the resources to provide um, food. So we're really adding that into the mix. We've done that the last couple years. And, uh, you know, we're ready to help people engage in any way. You, you might want to know you might know people that you want to invite, or you may want to leave seats open at your table. And on this platform that I'm talking about, I think there will be other community members looking for tables 
that they can join because they want to meet new people. All right. And you mentioned that GMF funded some projects that came out of this. Can you give an example of one of those? Sure. I think one of our favorite ones is that we um, saw the Carmen um, high schools. They have high schools on the north side and the south side. And they had such a robust conversation that day around bridging divides um, last year at their on the table meeting that they proposed doing this as a conversation for high school students and then middle um, school students to be able to take buses and literally go from the north side of Milwaukee to the south side and do things like visit El Rey and taste churros, look at some of the art murals, um, meet people of different brown and black skin tones and sit in rooms in the Sherman Phoenix then on the north side and experience life and commonalities and talk about differences. So we were able to fund actually two different bus trips that Adam Carr helped narrate a little bit about the history of Milwaukee on. Our guests today have been Laura Glowey and Catherine Dunn from the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. I'm your host, Jeremy Janine. Thank you for listening to another episode of City Beat. <laughs>